Wow, Veronica, it's that time of year again. Oh, yeah, it is. It's um, time to do our best of the year, our top 10 movies, our superlatives, our bottom five most hated movies. It's mm-hmm. our end of the year wrap up. Can you believe it? Yeah, I can't believe it's February again. I know. <laughs> Love is in the air and our annual late end of the year wrap up is here as well. But I I, I was thinking that maybe maybe uh, because it's the top 10, we should also do like uh, we should figure out what our, 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 our best intro of the year is, our best podcast intro of the year. Wow, there's so many to choose from. I mean, they're all gems. They're all my children. It's we work so hard crafting these. We work mm-hmm. so hard editing them. Mm-hmm. It's most people don't know it. We do the podcast for the intros. The rest is kind of just icing. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's just our opportunity to craft the coldest of opens. Yeah. Oh, you know what uh, uh, I think is probably uh, the best intro of the year? What? What? Not this one. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) End of the year wrap up. Here we go. Oh boy, this one, I, I felt the scrapes of the barrel physically. <laughs> what are you talking about? When we started, when we were five seconds away from recording and I said, oh shit, we don't have an intro. And then I went, don't worry, I got one. You Do you not think that I came up with something brilliant in those two seconds? Well, John, you're a professional writer, so I'm always leaving the door open for casual flashes of brilliance. Fuck writing. What you just saw was a decade of improv experience. Just brilliant. Just all those old muscles flexing. Still ripped. (laughs) Damn. Yes. Those improv (laughs) muscles are super ripped, John. (laughs) There's one thing we know about comedic improvisers. They are physically fit and attractive. But enough about that (laughs) bullshit. Why don't we talk about the movies? Hi, folks. I'm John Burchett. <laughs> and I am Veronica Urofsky. And also, I just sang that. Did you Did you know that? Did you we, know that? I did that music. I thought that was a band. That wasn't a full band that you brought in? No, that was just my mouth. That is incredible. I know. And while obviously we're very skilled folks, the people mm-hmm. making... Those Hollywood movies are even more skilled and they've entertained us. They've made us laugh. They've made us cry. They've made Mm. us have heartbreak that somehow feels good in a place like this all year long. (laughs) And we're going to celebrate them and shit on the ones we didn't like here at our end of the year wrap up on Box Office Time Machine. Yes. Hooray. (laughs) So we have a top 10 Mm -hmm. of best of movies. That we're going to inter 
disperse, inter, disperse. We can just say separate. (laughs) Separate uh, with our uh, bottom five worst movies of the year and some superlatives like you see in like a yearbook and which was fun. It was fun then and it's fun now. God damn it. Yeah. We're going to wrap up the positivity. It's it's a real <laughs> wrap up the positivity <laughs> with a big hunking bit of negativity right in the middle. So those of you like us being negative, don't worry. That's there. And those of us, those of you who like us being positive, what's wrong with you? Being negative is more fun. Exactly. But we are going to be positive and please you today. So stick around. Positive listener. <laughs> All right. Should we jump into this? Yes. Who uh, do you want to go first? Shall I go first? Well, we we flipped a Up coin off recording, and uh, uh, you won, so you get to go first. All right, guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna start with a bang, a literal bang, a literal thousands of bangs, and this might not be super conventional, but I did give this movie four stars on Letterbox and a heart. I'm putting Moonfall because I had a great time watching Moonfall. I think this movie is a delight. It's crazy. It's bad, but it is also so, so much fun. And if you enjoy very shoddy science and lots of things that go bang and songs made solely for the Chinese market, you will really enjoy Moonfall. Uh... That's it. End end of rant. I am so glad you went first. Because <laughs> that's really, it's like a, a, a horror movie when you put a jump scare right at the top. And so everyone's <laughs> off kilter the rest of the movie. Uh, now no one knows where we're coming from with Moonfall as the first best movie of the year that we list. <laughs> I, You know what? I I think... The point of movies is to make you feel happy when you watch them. And I feel like besides a few other movies on this list, <laughs> this movie has made me the happiest. So uh, I, I feel like I would be intellectually dishonest if I did not actually say that Moonfall was good for me. And I feel like a lot of people are scared. They are they are threatened by the mobs of the fans of like everything, everything at once. Uh, <laughs> I, I know the title of this movie of Tar of like the Banshees. People yeah, are you're scared. Right. The, the Daniels, Kate Blanchett <laughs> are going around forcing people to deny their love of Moonfall. <laughs> the critics are shivering in fear. They can't possibly utter the words Moonfall is good. So I'm doing it for the community. Anyway, John, you're number 10, please. Well, I'll say Moonfall was almost on my worst of the year list, but I, <gasps> I, 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 I got I, I, I got courage and I refused to put it on. I, I beat back this, the, the mysterious cabal you're talking about. Yes. And I, I took it off. So, so you'll be happy to know it's not on my worst of. But we're on the best of section right now. My number 10 is a little film called Turning Red. <gasps> it's my number 11 so it won't be on my list oh <laughs> turning red i thought uh um i i i feel like i've been i have maybe there's one i'm not thinking of but i feel like recently there's been uh recent pixar movies have been kind of le- less Meh. 
a little more formulaic, less exciting than they used to be. And this was such a lovely return to form. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is uh, directed by Domishi, and it's an animated film um, that was predominantly known as a big uh, menstruation metaphor. Um, <laughs> but that was more the first half of the movie. It's mostly a film about um, uh, uh, over extensive parenting and how that hurts a relationship and creates uh, unnecessary tension in the child. Um, but it's also just a really fun flick with a bunch that's, wow, I have multiple movies on my top 10 that are set in the early aughts. Mm-hmm. I, I guess a lot of people our age are making movies these days. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but we'll get to the very similar after sun later. Uh, Turning Red, <laughs> I love the beautiful animation. I love the fake boy band. Um the lead performances were wonderful. This was just really sweet. I love the big red panda. Yeah, I thought it was really, really good and sweet. And the relationship between the mother and the daughter felt so sweet and real. And the songs were really fun. Uh, yeah. So, you know, great pick, John. Great pick. Did Thanks, you say? Veronica. <laughs> Did you say after sun? Because here it comes. Oh shit! Uh, after sun is my number nine pick, uh, directed by someone our age, Charlotte Wells, uh, and it's uh, such a small but like very heartfelt and I thought emotionally impactful uh, story of a, a young father who takes his daughter on. Uh, a resort trip to Turkey and uh, it's mostly told or some of it is told via videotape as they kind of film each other uh, on this holiday and where we sort of get glimpses of how perhaps the dad is trying his best, but his best might not be good enough all the time for himself and for his daughter. Uh, it also, speaking of music, has an amazing soundtrack that was my childhood soundtrack. So I really felt seen by Charlotte Wells. Um, so that's my number nine pick. Yeah, I uh, I saw this last night Ooh. <laughs> in my quick see as many movies as you can before the podcast uh, uh, rush. And I'm Which glad I did. Which is how you absorb it- them the best. Yeah, I'm glad I did because maybe this is recency bias, but it will be much higher on my top 10 list. We'll find out where later. Um, But I love this a lot. I mean, it's it's you're coming into this movie. You hear it's a tearjerker. And so and also just kind of tonally, you're watching the beginning being like, okay, what's (laughs) to, to be reductive? What's wrong? What's the problem here? Not in the movie, but in the, these characters' lives. I know something bad mm-hmm. is here. Um, and But uh, uh, Charlotte Wells is so subtle about how she builds the relationship and the performances between uh, Paul Mescal and the young Frankie Corio are so good that it it's just builds so subtly um, both the relationship, the issues that are going on, um, the way the the tiny ways that the past affects the glimpses of the future that we see uh it's it all just works together until those last few shots really just slam into you and are very <laughs> effective um yeah. i loved this a lot this was great woohoo 
finally in agreement, much like Moonfall, After Sun is wonderful. <laughs> you know, After Sun and Moonfall take place in the same universe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a universe with a sun and a moon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Not the same cinematic universe. They take place in the same universe. And honestly, most of the movies we'll be discussing today do take place in uh, like the Milky Way galaxy. Wow. Wow. That's that's very anti-woke of us. Why are we not including other galaxies in our rankings, John? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll be getting to the, the sexy Eminem. Why? Like. Stop. Stop. No, stop. we're not doing this. <laughs> we're not even making jokes about Eminem's fucking Super Bowl ad. Uh, uh, yes. wait, oh, yes. I refuse to wait, acknowledge. <laughs> really refuse. dated this pod. I guess you can't really date a podcast that's literally about the top 10 of the year. It's yeah, kind it's of by, by definition. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> My next movie is a very topical movie about uh, current social uh issues of the day like sexy m&ms <gasps> i bet my main character would have a lot to say about those sexy m&ms and Ooh. then would probably sexually harass them i'm talking <gasps> of course of todd field's tar damn tar 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 <laughs> uh yeah tar is great um uh kate planchette is uh <laughs> i mean kate planchette um <laughs> It's oh, what 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 can I say about Tar that hasn't already been said? Um, similar yeah. <laughs> to uh, another movie on this list that I'll get to later, uh, Tar is a fascinating look about the abuses of power, um, and it does so. It does so in a way that really interestingly builds in speed. The beginning is so slow. Like scenes liter in the big first half literally go on for about 16 minutes and gets to the point where scenes are rapidly shooting by and we seem to be skipping important information. And I love it. It really gives you a feel for someone who is so narcissistic and so powerful and famous what it must feel like, like a horrible nightmare when consequences suddenly come calling. Um, and I just thought it was uh, uh, really well done. And in the first half, I genuinely enjoyed listening to those conversations about music. <laughs> yeah, I uh, no spoilers, but Tar will be higher on my list. I absolutely love this movie. I wanted it to be longer. <laughs> I wanted people to have even more conversations. I wanted to exist in all of those spaces with those characters. And I think sort of like... Uh, I think what I love about this movie so much is how it would have been so easy for this movie to be so much worse. Like, cause it is sort of about cancel culture, but it's not really, it is kind of about, it is about toxic people, but it's not, it, it's not about that. It's sort of like it has them. And so it's, it's funny and it's thrilling and you're not sure where it's going yet. You, I kind of like are I, I feel like your sort of your brain is kind of pulling you in different directions depending on like how you feel about a character at a given time and how uh the more information is revealed about their lives. And I it's just brilliantly constructed, brilliantly acted. The music is gorgeous. Uh, yeah. Fucking K Blanchett. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's the best. <laughs> Tar it up. <laughs> Tar it why. up. I don't know what that means. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. I think it means that it's time for my number eight. Hey. Woohoo. Let's keep all the good times rolling. With Hell yeah. The, the Tar good times. <laughs> Uh, with all the beauty and the bloodshed, what what a a great old time! Obviously, I'm joking. It's a documentary about photographer Nan Golden's quest to remove uh, the Sackler name from any sort of uh, art space that allowed them to, uh, I guess, the word. I would be looking for a sort of philanthropy wash away their ill-gotten money that they mostly made through the opioid crisis. Um, and also, I thought the thing that really stuck with me was kind of her art growing up because uh, it also showcases her background from when she became a photographer uh, to her struggle with the opioid uh, addiction. But all the stuff kind of depicting her coming up in sort of the new wave era of New York, I thought was like very well done. It wasn't cheesy in the sense of like, oh, this is how cool we used to be. But it was a very realistic depiction that really sort of made you understand why now having seen so many of her uh, friends die via the AIDS epidemic, sort of seeing the same thing happening again with the opioids and wanting to stop it and now having the power to do so. Um, so, yeah, and I guess it's not as grim as I'm depicting it, but <laughs> yeah, the the photography is really beautiful. It showcases a lot of her art. Um, and obviously, um, I don't know, the way she went about it, I thought was very good. So, yeah, all the beauty and the bloodshed. Well, uh, maybe this is the downbeat uh, section of the show, because my next movie is also a documentary about the cumulative careers of artists and uh, their frail bodies. Uh, I'm speaking, of course, about Jeff Tremaine's Jackass Forever. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say about Jackass Forever? Uh, uh, it's great. It's, I, I like all <laughs> other than I rewatched the first one. I rewatched all of them leading up to this. And the first one holds up the least. But <laughs> uh, all of them are so fun. And seeing them in a crowded theater are is just some of the most fun you can possibly have. It's <laughs> I, I don't want to fall into the trap of uh, some of the uh, some film critics of the past who have sounded absurd uh, talking about the Jackass movies and going to like <laughs> real bizarre, bizarre places of like, this is a direct lineage of the Theatre de, you know, like. Yeah, it's um, from Buster Keaton to Johnny Knoxville as a straight line. <laughs> um, It's just, they're so fucking, they're, the absurd fun and comedy of watching people just hurt themselves is just on a primal level so funny. But they have also realized that the real delight in these movies is the like the friendship and relationships mm -hmm. that are going on underneath. 
which make them so joyful and cruel. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, one thing I'll put out, like the the third one definitely seemed to be an ending, uh, was treated as such at the time. I liked the way they incorporated new cast members in this one, particularly uh, uh, the female cast member who I wish got more to do. Um, but I did think that really that Rachel Wolfson really made uh, the dynamic more fun. Um, and I hope they include more uh, women in the future. But um, this this movie where I was like, yeah, Jackass can be done. This movie made me go like, oh, yeah, Jackass can live longer than I do. It can live past me. <laughs> None of its performers probably will. But <laughs> the Jackass <laughs> film series can keep going as long as it wants. Jackass forever. True title, fun movie. Yes, I. it is in my top 20. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit too. Uh, yeah, I thought it was like just very, I don't know. I guess, yeah, melancholy in some ways. <laughs> I mean, yeah, immediation and age uh, and growing old and friendship. And it was great. Good pick. Good pick, John. You're doing great. <laughs> All right. Uh, my, my top, uh, seven movie is X, uh, the Ty West, uh, slasher pick, uh, from earlier this year, not to be confused with Pearl, <laughs> the other Ty West, I guess less of a slasher pick from a bit later from previously, previous year. I don't know. It's confusing. There's a lot of movies. They all star Mia Goth and they're all mostly great. Um, and uh, anyway, X was such a delightful surprise. I just, I really dug its aesthetic. I really dug the way uh, that it sort of, I don't know, the true dread was actually like in something like aging and um I just like, yeah, I just, I, I find it hard to describe because, uh, I don't really want to spoil that much yeah. in case people haven't seen it. We did but, not give a spoiler warning at the beginning of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, go see it and check it out for yourself. Seeing it in a crowded, uh, movie theater was definitely a very, very fun experience. Uh, and it, yeah, that's it. I, I can't talk about it without spoiling much. So. Well, X will be much higher on my list, and so I will I will give it a try right now. Um, I've always found that with horror movies, there's like two types of horror movies. There's fun horror movies and fun, scary horror movies and scary, scary horror movies. The fun ones are the ones that like want to like startle you and, and scare you, but mostly want you to have a good time. Whereas the scary, scary ones want you to genuinely be unsettled and i love x because it takes the form of a fun one it's literally a porn porn film crew reenacting mm -hmm. texas chainsaw massacre and going into being a slasher movie in the 70s but then it subtly slowly becomes the latter um while maintaining the fun of the former uh i i loved it quite a bit i thought it was uh excellent um i'm the the ty west mia goth uh pearl maxine trilogy is in my belief the only film franchise that deserves to exist we can get rid of all the others star wars james bond 
the MCU. <laughs> Throw them all in the dust heap. All that matters is Mia Goth screaming. <laughs> she is very, very good in these movies. I'm, I'm always happy when a director finds his muse, and this is definitely feels like the case <laughs> with Ty West. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of X, um, uh, this was a big horror year, and I am a fan of horror. Uh, horror is the only non-superhero genre currently making money at the box office, and I'm <laughs> all for it. So I will warn people now that the rest of my list is covered in horror movies, uh, <gasps> both in the top top ten and the superlatives, and unfortunately in the bottom five. I watched a lot of horror <laughs> movies this year, but now we'll come to the first one on my list. My mm. number, uh, what would this be? Seven. Seven? <laughs> yes. Seven. My number seven is Zach Kreger's Barbarian, which I believe mm. Veronica did not like. But friends, this is my <laughs> time to talk and Veronica is wrong. She can go cuddle up next to Moonfall. Um, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Barbarian is, uh, Barbarian's excellent. I think I found it structurally fascinating. This is another one that, that uh, you wouldn't want to spoil. I found it it's structurally fascinating without uh, saying any more. It's shifts in tone um, are incredibly fun. Um, it's first act is a <laughs> brilliantly funny escalation of tension. And I found the way it explores what eventually is revealed to be its themes uh, really interesting. And most importantly, Zach Kreger, of course, uh, formerly of the Whitest Kids You Know TV show, helping prove alongside Jordan Peele that the sketch comedy to horror pipeline is the most exciting uh, <laughs> cinematic pipeline we've got going. Give all the sketch comedian folks horror movies. Start it right up. I want the kids in the hall horror. I want the Bob Odenkirk, uh, David Cross horror. I Ooh. want it fucking all. Cancel SNL. Cancel SNL right now. We don't need it. SNL's Regardless. done. Regardless. Instead, get all those people to just start making horror movies. The world will be better. We don't need Weekend Update. We need more Barbarians. Wow. Wow. What a what an impassioned speech <laughs> about a movie that I thought sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I will not yuck your yum. So I will not rehash my issues. Instead... I will talk about my number six pick, uh, which is the movie I totally know the name of, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought this movie uh, was very, very, very fun. Uh, in my uh, very short letterbox review, I said that if the energy of this movie could be harnessed, we could power the planet for many generations. And I stand by that. That movie is so filled with like the Daniels demented sense of humor and innovative action sequences. Everything is like, everything is moving all the time in this movie and it's really, really good. I also thought the emotional story at the center of it was really good between, again, between a mother and her child. I feel like a lot of parent relationships have been cropping up in our top 10. Um, and uh, yeah, and 
So I thought it all really, really uh, worked uh, super well, except for the fact that I thought it was longer <laughs> than it should have been. Uh, but yeah, everything, everywhere, all at once. A great movie everyone should see, which I think they have. <laughs> <laughs> which is also exciting. How great that every yeah. uh, that so many people saw this movie. Um, it is also on my list, higher up. Uh, I will agree, seeing it twice, it is uh, uh, over long. But hey... The title promises that. It's true. <laughs> the title promises everything. So I'm fine with there being everything. Uh, this is such a super fun movie. I love, um, I think I described it at the time as uh, like the sci-fi inventiveness of a Rick and Morty episode. I'll have to come up with a new comparison now to <laughs> recent events but the sci-fi event let's say the sci-fi inventiveness of a good futurama episode um mixed sure. with the uh uh heart tugging of a pixar movie and just great martial arts thrown in to mix it all together uh this was mm -hmm. a super fun movie i loved it a lot it'll be elsewhere on my list but right now Ooh. let's get back to what we should be talking about Mia Goth. My number six <laughs> is Pearl. Ooh, two goths on this list, probably. Yep. And For you. <laughs> next or year, there might be a, I, my 2023 list might have a third. I watched a <laughs> another Mia Goth movie this week. But um, uh, yeah, Pearl is lower on my list than X purely because. At the end of the day, I like the 70s grindhouse aesthetic more than the 1940s Technicolor uh, aesthetic. That's just a personal aesthetic choice. Um, but Pearl is so much fun. Uh, and Mia Goth is so incredible. She co-wrote this one. The fact that this movie just came to be because they were basically stuck in lockdown on the set of X is <laughs> so much fun. And it's just... I, uh, to be honest, I genuinely think if there's any uh, justice in the world, I think out of all the we got so many terrible movies about the COVID pandemic, uh, terrible, shitty lockdown movies, fucking awful <laughs> movies filmed on Zoom that no one wants. <laughs> At the end of well, the day, Anne Hathaway wanted them, John and <laughs> <laughs> wait, what? Well, she like did the first one, right? That was like one of the first COVID movies was her and I think she would four and they're oh, locked Anne up. Hathaway. Never mind. Yeah, that's what I said. Anne Hathaway. Oh, I only Sorry. heard Anne and I'm like, are you on a oh. first name basis with Anne Hathaway? Well, that's besides the point. I don't anyway, talk I'm about not my... mocking the people who made that uh, made those movies. I think it was pretty clear that no one wanted them. But hey, everyone had to do something. But if there's any justice in the world, I think Pearl should be remembered as the best movie about pandemic life. It, of course, takes place 100 years in the past during the 1918 uh, flu uh, outbreak. Um, and it's it's just great. It's it, it explores the themes uh, set up in X in new ways with a completely new aesthetic. And it is just really fun and those closing credits are so fucking great <laughs> oh yeah oh god i forgot about that yeah that movie was super fun uh i really love the sort of the old 
Hollywood aesthetic that they brought into it. It's just, it felt, even though this and X are sibling movies, it really felt like its unique thing. It didn't feel kind of tacked on and afterthought or anything like that. It really still felt like a very deliberate piece of filmmaking. Uh, and yeah, I had a great time with it too. Yeah, going it will back, not be on my list though. Going back to House of the Devil, uh, Ty West has uh, had so much fun exploring with different um, uh, uh, different film stocks and making things look and feel like older movies and helping that inform not just as like just as aesthetics, but helping that inform the themes in the movie. And I think it's really fun. Mm-hmm. Yay. Great job, John. You did it. And <laughs> I did it too. Uh, all right. Shall we go to our first few superlatives? And Let's then- do it interdisperse some uh uh bad movies in there well i think we can do let's do superlatives then we'll just do the the bottom five all in a row all right however you want it sir okay so (laughs) (laughs) all right first so we're doing superlatives first let's do superlatives first okay hey all right uh the first one that we have here as good scene, bad movie. All right. They put on your thinking cap. Think about a real good. And then come up with the answer, which for me, Babylon. Ooh. That's the bad movie. But the good scene is actually, I, like, there are a few good scenes in Babylon, mostly in its first half. Uh, and one of them is uh, when Nellie Leroy, uh, played by... Uh, Fuck, why am I blanking on her name? Uh, I didn't by... see the film. I can't help you. No, it, come on. It's uh, it's the woman. Margot uh, Robbie? Margot Robbie. God damn it. Uh, anyway, uh, Nellie Leroy, who's like this sort of very trashy and loud and sexy and young <laughs> ingenue. Uh, of silent film uh, is filming her first sexy co-ed comedy with sound. Uh, the scene is really built like uh, a very fun sketch where basically uh, to illustrate how tricky it was to film with sound uh, where the everyone on set increasingly becomes sweatier and yellier and in the case of one person, deader uh, uh, or less alive uh, in the course <laughs> of filming a very simple scene of her entering her college dormitory and then picking up a phone. Uh, it's super fun. And I wish more of the movie was as fun as the scene. And Margot Robbie is absolutely superb in it. Um, so, yeah, that is my pick. Awesome. I did not see that film, so I cannot voice an opinion on it. I am afraid. But I have a bad movie that I know we both saw because we discussed it on this podcast. My good scene, bad movie, and um, perhaps a running theme in these superlatives is that I cheated on all of them. (laughs) So (laughs) this is less a scene than it is an overall performance. I could choose, I'll I'll choose one scene to do it, but mostly my answer is anything involving Matt Smith from the movie Morbius. Wow, damn, a Morbius appearance, not in the bottom of your five. 
Why? That would, would have been the only place where I would have expected to see it. There. <laughs> Morbius, not a good film. I, no. I think that is clear. Um, mm. But there were times when you could see at least a fun film peeking out. And most of those times involved Matt Smith. Matt mm-hmm. Smith dancing. Matt Smith growling. Matt Smith just doing whatever because uh, the movie did not make sense. But Matt Smith was having a lot of fun. And when he was dancing and making vampire faces, I was like, I'd watch this movie. <laughs> no, he was definitely the the brightest light in the, you know, the turd candelabra <laughs> that is Morpheus. What an image you have painted for our listeners. <laughs> I'm sorry. But yeah, I thought I thought he was super fun. I, I will agree with it. John, what is your next superlative? Okay. I don't know what order we're going in, so I'm just going to jump over to biggest disappointment. Oh, boy. Now, uh, here's my first cheat, because I have two movies. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I'll, not, I'll rock through them pretty quickly. But... Both of these movies are not bad movies. For the most part, I enjoyed both of these movies. I am just disappointed that I feel like neither hit the very high, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Bar. The high bar. Well, they didn't hit their possibility. Uh, Potential? Potential. Like the potential of me being able to talk and remember words. No, I thought both these movies had much higher potential that they did not achieve. Both movies, uh, horror comedies with excellent casts. Both movies had some fun scenes, but both movies left me a little disappointed. And I am am talking about the movies Scream 2022 (gasps) and Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Uh, disappointed in different ways Uh, Scream I thought was a really fun Scream movie all of the uh, whodunit slashering was fun great cast however this was the perfect time for us to get a real like there's we've had the biggest in seismic shift in horror since the original and it was the perfect time for scream to come in and really parody the a24 art house horror aesthetic and really puncture that and while they bring it up in the first scene they then do nothing with it and instead talk about requels i don't need my scream movie to be parodying the force awakens scream is supposed (laughs) to parody horror trends and for for that, I was very disappointed. Um, bodies, bodies, bodies at times was absolutely hilarious because it has one of the funniest casts around. And when it lets them talk, so funny. Unfortunately, there's about a 40 minute blank spot in the middle where they're just walking around. And since I don't know if you can figure out the theme of the movie, you can guess the solution to the whodunit that section of the movie is very boring (laughs) so those are my two biggest disappointments oh wow i feel like i liked bodies 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 more than you did but scream less than you (laughs) (laughs) uh my biggest disappointment is nope I absolutely loved Jordan Peele's uh, first two movies, uh, Get Out and Us. Uh, I was a staunch Us defender. I actually think it's really, really good. Uh, But 
Uh, this one just did not make sense to me <laughs> at all. I think it was visually very compelling and the individual performances were really, really good across the board, but it just never came together for me as an horror movie, an exciting movie, an alien movie, a movie that's trying to say something. Uh, I just, yeah, I just did not vibe with it at all and i kind of was like disappointed with every turn of uh, the plot except for when they introduced the the inflatable dudes which was <laughs> <fun>. great visual <laughs> yeah. excellent visual uh, you could say that about the whole movie yeah uh so yeah that i am not happy about this but nope was my biggest yeah nope is not anywhere on my <laughs> list so i, I it's my only chance to talk about it it's possible I would have put Nope as my biggest disappointment until I saw it a second time. I felt very much like you the first time. The second time, it did not instantly catapult into one of my favorite movies, but it did help it. I think, like you said, uh, after Get Out, it seems like Jordan Peele has wanted to make his um, his themes and messaging a little more... Uh, murky sounds more negative than I intended, but he wants to make mm -hmm. it less obvious what he's trying to say. And I think that's cool. It's made while a uh, get out is, I think overall still his best movie. Us and Nope are probably way more fun to discuss and tease mm -hmm. out. However, us is in addition to that, an excellent home invasion thriller. And I don't think, while visually brilliant, I don't think Nope becomes an excellent alien invasion movie. And so, mm -hmm. yes, this could have been my biggest disappointment as well. I, I feel similarly. Yay, we're on the same page. No <laughs> fighting here, team best friends. Uh, all right. How about we talk about the biggest surprise? Mm. Let's be positive. I'll start. My biggest surprise was deep water <laughs> yes i am talking about the adrian line erotic thriller starring ben <laughs> affleck and ana de armas uh i thought that movie was great did it make sense no but it had super hot people fucking it had a lot of intrigue and thrills it had for some reason uh lil ray howry like being just funny and best friends with ben affleck don't ask too many questions because the plot makes very little sense all the characters are driven by is their sexual desire for anything that can fuck them back uh, but it was a great, great time. It was set in New Orleans, so it also looks pretty, pretty great. And uh, yeah, I just wish those movies uh, were still a thing because I I don't know. I think they're trashy good time and being directed by the master Adrian Lyne definitely helped. Uh, and starring the two most <laughs> perfect people, uh, I, I think it was just like, a perfect combination of trash that happened to work and it really warmed my heart. <laughs> it is weird how in an era of uh, uh, easy access online porn, um, we've seen a dip in the kind of uh, sexy 
mass media because people yeah. don't really need it as much. Um, and it it's made things like an erotic thriller seem so quaint and cute. Like if I saw yes. a Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, I'd be like, "Aw, <laughs> look at you!" <laughs> Still trying, pretending we can't find sexy girls on the internet. <laughs> I read them for the fashion of the swimsuits. Um, uh, yes, course. I did not catch uh, Deep Water, I'm afraid, but it sounds very fun. Now, for my biggest surprise, I could. I could list RRR, the incredibly mm. fun film, but that's only a surprise to me because I'm not familiar with Indian cinema and I don't mm. want to put down on this list an acknowledgement of my lack of worldliness. So instead, <laughs> I'm going to say, I think, was a Deep Water a Hulu movie? It was. I'm going to say another Hulu movie. I'm going to say Prey. Oh. Now, uh, long-time uh, 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 listeners of the podcast might know that the first episode we ever – well, this, was this our, our first test episode that we never re yes. released – was <laughs> the 2018 Shane Black movie Predator. And it – The Predator? What the fuck was that thing called? I think it was called The Predator because the original is Predator. I think it was, called, was called Bad Time at the Movie Theater. <laughs> Bad time and the screaming movie. Theater. That was a terrible movie. And I really was not expecting anyone to ever do anything interesting with the Predator franchise ever again. But boy, did Dan Trachtenberg and his co-writer Patrick Alson knock it out of the park with Prey. Prey was so much fun. Uh, Prey took the premise back in time. Um, and instead of having 1980s super, super action stars, uh, they had a young Comanche woman played in a great performance by Amber Midthunder. You may know from the movie, the TV show Legion. Uh, she's mm -hmm. excellent in it, as is, um, I believe, uh, Dakota Beavers, who plays her brother. Um, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. Um, it's the exact structure of the first film, but changes the details in a way that completely changes what the movie's about. And it's just great. Uh, Am Amber Midthunder is so wonderful in this movie. Uh, I, this is a great time. I was surprised. I have yet to see it. I heard only good things about it. My parents I loved it. <laughs> I feel like I've been burned so bad by the predator. <laughs> it's just like that's why it's I my still... biggest surprise. <laughs> yeah, I don't. It's like just like the thought of uh, wading back into that pool. I just like I can't quite bring myself to do that yet. But hopefully, hopefully someday I will. Um, yay! All right, John. What is our next super? Our next superlative um, is going to be most overhyped. And I am going Whoa. to cheat by calling by calling mine <laughs> best overhyping technique. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, because I am going with the movie Terrifier Two, which I what hated watching. <laughs> We're back Jesus. to horror, and this is not my type of horror. This is just too. Oh, God, how long was this fucking movie? Um. <laughs> 138 minutes 
of nothing but introducing a two-dimensional character, following them for 30 seconds, and then having them ripped apart um, in some truly very impressive visual effects. Uh, Look, I hated watching this, uh, but um, I can fully acknowledge that this movie was not for me. This is not the type of horror I like. I like... I don't know characters in a story, but um, whoa, but, whoa! Get out of here with your highfalutin <laughs> expectations. Characters old, and a, a big old elitist in um, this economy. <laughs> but yeah, for people who have spent the past fifteen years being like, "What well, can't horror movies just be scary and just be fun? Why does it have to be about like?" racism and trauma and bullshit terrifier 2 is here and those people (laughs) deserve a deserve a movie as well but i'm talking mostly about the hype the market it was genuinely lovely to see someone do the old william castle cheesy horror marketing gimmicks and have them succeed they did every stupid horror gimmick that everyone should know is bullshit and yet People fell for it one after another. First, they (laughs) advertised that people were passing out during screenings. Then they're like, we're going to have paramedics at the screenings. All the dumb bullshit that people have been doing for literally 70 years. And yet the media (laughs) kept writing it up. And this movie, which cost $250,000, made $16.1 million at the box office. So this is a movie that is, for me, most overhyped. But I'm also acknowledging the hyping was very successful. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know what? Good for them. Good for them. Good for them. I, I've never heard of this movie. I will probably forget that it existed. I think you should watch podcast. it right after this recording. I think you'll really enjoy it. I, it sounds like a thing I will not enjoy, but uh, <laughs> I am. I guess I'm open. All right. So most overhyped is the thing we're doing. <laughs> and it's most overhyped. It's also most overweight. It's the way. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm sorry, I did feel bad about this. Um, No, not about including The Whale as the most overhyped, because that movie is does not deserve a single one of the awards that is given to it. Uh, Especially, I I can recognize, I guess, Brandon Fraser's performance as being good, but he's been good in other things. He's been good in Bedazzled. He was better in Bedazzled. Bedazzled is a wonderful movie. Uh, The Whale is just a fucking... The most boring adaptation of a play I didn't even know was a play and it felt like a play. And when I looked it up and realized that it was a play, it made perfect sense. Uh, It's just the most Oscar Beatty like uh, surface level discussions of quote unquote big themes anchored by a transformative quote unquote (laughs) performance which is like the prosthetics truly reminded me of the fat bastard in Austin Powers. <laughs> like it was like so comically like bad and like of that like Oscar bait type that it just like made me so angry. Um not as angry as that fucking stereotypical teenager in it who just yells all the time. Uh anyway. 
That movie sucked. Yeah. Don't don't see it. I'm very disappointed because I do, unlike you, like Darren Aronofsky. Uh, but this was it was kind of devoid of any of his touch, too. Mm. It just felt like so boring. Like if you told me it was directed by like Stephen Frears, I would be like, yeah, sure. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> I did not see the whale. And I have a question for you and everyone who did see the whale. Why? No one's holding yeah. a gun to your head. You didn't need to go see that. You saw the trailers. You read what was it about. You don't need to see it. Yes, I know we all like Brendan Fraser. But if someone you really like has a birthday party inside a volcano, just you don't have to go just because it's their birthday party. You all, We all knew the whale would be unpleasant to watch. You don't need to go see it. No matter how much you like Brendan Fraser, he will never know that you went to see it. Guys, That's come true. on, look at that fucking poster. You didn't need to see it. <laughs> That's I, I just I do. I do like everyone involved. And I was just like, it can't be that bad. I'm sure Darren Aronofsky found something interesting about this material. And he did not. He did not find anything <laughs> interesting about this material. All right. Well, what did right. you find in our next superlative? All right. Well, how about... Uh, the flip side of that coin, performance of the year. And uh, to the surprise of no one, <laughs> I'm going to go with Kate Blanchett in Tar. She rules. She's goat. She's amazing in everything. Um, I mostly just, especially, I don't mean to shit on Brandon Fraser, who is fine. But like, uh, I feel like in the landscape of overly emotional scream acting, I love the way that she brings so much restraint to her performance. Like it's all like just like this quiet power. Uh, and Tara is like such a fascinating beast. And I feel like the way that she embodies her makes makes her feel like a true human that existed. Uh, <clears throat> and I just, yeah, I was mesmerized. I wanted to be her despite knowing uh, rationally that she's a terrible person uh so yeah anyway Kate Blanchett always great especially in Tar yeah it, it's hard to disagree with the performance when uh, apparently tons of people were googling is Lydia Tar a real person after the movie right <laughs> um I I was googling uh after the movie is Pearl a real person my best <laughs> performance of the year is of course Mia Goth uh, Mia Groth, mm. I'm going to say Pearl, but technically Pearl slash X. Um, we've already talked about uh, these movies here on the list. Uh, she's so fucking good at this movie. She gives an eight minute monologue that is so excellent. Uh, she gives <laughs> a face in the credits, which is so good. Uh, she's just wonderful. And she co-wrote it. Can't say that about a lot of the other performers. She co-wrote the movie. Uh, she's great. We've talked about how great she is. But uh, yes. yeah, this is the best performance of the year. Overlooked because it's in a horror movie. Ooh. But uh, easily the best performance of the year. So much so that when people hear uh, uh, Mia Goth's real, real speaking voice in uh, interviews, they go, what? 
That's what she sounds like. <laughs> I mean, I do feel that with all of these movies coming out, we are reliving the gothic era. Whoa. I feel like Mia Goth is definitely on a roll and she's always a delight. I have not seen her be bad in any movie. So I, I am I am here for the, the goth era. <laughs> Yay. All right. What what is our next superb? Our next superlative will be scene of the year. Ooh. And I'm gonna cheat again and have a tie. Sorry. I'll go through <laughs> them quickly. Um my scene of the year uh will go for a movie I already mentioned. This would be the tape measuring scene from Barbarian. Oh. <laughs> um Perhaps, uh, I, I won't go into that deeply because I do not want to spoil the movie, but perhaps one of the best encapsulations of the movie's uh, handling of wildly divergent tones. Um, at this point, the movie has gotten uh, v- fairly, <laughs> very dark. And then this scene is so fucking funny. I saw this movie twice in the theaters and the audience was laughing very hard both times. Uh, Justin Long is hilarious. Uh, this scene is such a perfect inversion of an earlier scene. Uh, it's great. It's so funny. Um, my other one is uh, picking up the check is what I will call this opening scene from Triangle of Sadness. Uh, <laughs> this is a lengthy conversation between a boyfriend and a girlfriend about who is going to pay for dinner. And it is so well written, so well performed. Um, sorry, let me get the. Uh, uh, actors' names, uh, especially the actress who tragically uh, passed shortly after this movie was made. Um, this is uh, Harris Dickinson and the uh, tragically no longer with us, uh, Charby Dean, uh, play the boyfriend and girlfriend, two fashion models who are way more successful than he is, but neither exactly rolling in dough. They are at a fancy restaurant. And um, she expects him to pay and he wants to have a conversation about why that expectation is unfair. Uh, But but having that conversation is incredibly uncomfortable and awkward. Uh, This is such a great scene. Oh, yeah, I love that scene. This in a movie filled with very, very good scenes. This was definitely a highlight. Uh, I... Well, I guess I will say before I reveal my actual uh, scene of the year that uh, the Beatles uh, Get Back had an IMAX release earlier in the year. So technically my scene of the year from last year could also go here because that fucking rooftop concert is still (laughs) really, really good. But uh, I will continue to ship Tar uh, and say that my scene of the year is the scene where she goes to Juilliard and has a very uneventful teaching <laughs> experience. Uh, yeah, I feel like the scene has been written about a lot. I feel like it's sort of a, um, a Rorschach test to the watcher. Is it, uh, is it a scene where we're supposed to think how zoomer and millennial uh uh what's the word? sentiments are silly and stupid is it a scene that we were supposed to look at the older generation as old and conceited is it a scene about power dynamics is it a scene criticizing um uh, cancel culture is it a scene that criticizes um uh, people uh not appreciating art based on the 
uh, background of the person making it. It's probably all of those things, but the way that it plays out is so subtle and interesting. The way that, again, like you said previously, like it kind of accelerates and the way that the scene is reevaluated, reevaluated later in the movie um, is all so, so good. Um, and I just love just like being a fly on the wall in this master class. Um, so yeah, Tar at Juilliard. <laughs> yeah, I love that scene. And I just want to say as a former uh, teacher of the arts teaching adults, um, uh, yeah, Lydia Tar's in the wrong. <laughs> 18 year olds <laughs> oh, should yeah. not be expected to communicate what's important to them. That's why they're in school. <laughs> Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the thing. It's like such an abuse of her power. And it like it uh, belies, I think is the right word, such conceitedness and uh, her uh, arrogance on her part, uh, where it almost doesn't matter whether she is right on the facts. She is wrong on the execution. <laughs> Similarly to uh, to the Triangle of Sadness scene. Um, this is a conversation that uh, this is a filming of a conversation that a type of conversation that happens that is emotionally fraught. And it is a scene that is both wickedly funny and uh, incredibly tense because in yeah. both cases, they are incredibly realistic depictions of how both those conversations go. Uh, incredibly mm -hmm. well acted, incredibly well written. I could have easily put that scene as well. Uh, great choice veronica veronica what's our next thank you so much all right i think our final superlative is uh the best movie we saw this year that we saw for the first time so it's new to us uh oh I then we got we one more come up with it oh no that's true okay so we have two more never mind <laughs> anyway this one is coming up right now we should probably come up with a better name for it but anyway i saw the muppets christmas carol and it was a delight <laughs> i have never seen it before uh, and I thought I just loved thinking about the Muppets as like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's sort of like a, a theatrical ensemble who just like put on plays. And this happened to be the one where they did the Christmas Carol. I just love them sort of embodying like not their personas almost uh, in the service of the story. And it was really good. I thought um, Michael Caine was wonderful. Just like, I don't know, not feeling super silly acting next to Muppets and actually like bringing in a lot of emotion to the role. And the songs were super, super great. So if you have not, like me, have yet, have up until this point, have not seen uh, this movie, I would very much recommend. I have seen that movie because I am human. Um, <laughs> uh, I I would like to do a, an older movie for this list. I wish I had a genuinely older movie. I almost put 1971's Daughters of Darkness because that movie was <laughs> fun. Um, but I think I got to go. My favorite non-2022 movie I saw for the first time this year was, I'm afraid, a 2021 movie that I just missed last year. <laughs> this is Mike Rianda's The Mitchells versus The Machines, um, oh. an animated uh, family comedy that is so funny. 
Um, beautiful to look at. I love the art style. Uh, the voice cast is so much fun. Um, I somehow missed this last year. Watched it on a plane in the a terrible screen with bad sound, and I still loved every minute of it. Uh, fun for kids and adults alike. Mitchell's vs. the Machines. I liked it. All right. I have yet to see it. You should. You don't, it's it's really fun. It's really cute. Uh, yeah, I want to. It seems really fun. Um, now maybe we're gonna end our superlatives with maybe the most fun category. I think this is mm-hmm. best musical moment of the year. Yes. Now, um, I'm gonna cheat again with two. Sorry, guys. Uh, uh, the ending of After Sun, the under pressure sequence. But I can't really mm. talk about that sequence at all. It is the very end of the movie. So let's just say that's there as well. The under pressure <laughs> sequence from After Sun. Um, but instead, I'm going to focus on the land side sequence from X. Um, this is about the point midway through the movie where the movie kind of changes tones. Um, and at this point, uh, Brittany Snow, the actress, uh, and Kid Cudi, um, uh, perform a beautiful rendition of, uh, Stevie Nicks song Landslide, one of my favorite songs of all time. And it's a genuinely great rendition and it perfectly encapsulates the themes of the movie. And, oh, it's just a really fun scene. Hey, all right. I actually also have two. Yes. Uh, musical moments. Uh, the first one is uh, the opening synchronized dancing from After Yang. Oh, my God. Uh, of course. <laughs> uh, I truly uh, I think After Yang is uh, a really good movie. When I call it a very good episode of Black Mirror, I don't mean it pejoratively. It reminds me of the sweet ones like, uh, oh, fuck, the one where the heaven is a place on earth mm. where, and all those ones. Uh, but it starts off with uh, a synchronized dance competition that all the characters you're going to encounter in the movie are performing over the opening credits. And it's so surprising and fun and out of nowhere and whimsical. And I truly, really, really loved it and rewatched that scene many times. Uh, so that's one of them. And the the second one is... Uh, uh, it's Jenny Slate singing Suddenly Seymour with a middle schooler <laughs> in the movie I Want You Back. Uh, I Want You Back is a super fun comedy with uh, Jenny Slate and uh, Charlie Day. It's sort of like Strangers on a Train, but with exes uh, and, you know, recovering relationships as opposed to killing people. But uh, in a Jenny Slate ends up uh, pretending to want to help out on a middle school production of uh, uh, Little Shop of Horrors. And she has to stand in for a sick uh, actual schoolgirl and sing, uh, uh, be part of the Suddenly Seymour duet. And it's a very, very sweet scene. I, I you know, uh, I love that song. And I think that she and this kid are really, really sweet together with him trying to be like very mature and theatrical and her not kind of, 
being sure how to play it, but also being like very happy to sort of sing a song that she knows well. Uh, so I don't know. I thought that scene was super, super sweet. Awesome. Uh, so that's my I, second. I got to break into this right now. You've reminded me. I was going by Letterboxd. I looked on my my diary and said movies released in 2022. And Letterboxd counts after Yang as a 2021 movie. So it <gasps> did not come up. So I com completely forgot, even though I only saw it like um, two months ago or maybe even like a month month ago. Um, I... If I had remembered, those opening credits absolutely would have been my uh, musical moment of the year. Um, and after Yang well, would have been... Well, you can't have them anymore because they're in mine. <laughs> after Yang would have been in my top 10. It's an excellent movie. Oh, no. Uh, so turning red, thank your lucky stars that Letterboxd counts <laughs> after Yang is a 2021 film. But such is life. Let's move on and get negative. Bottom five. Bottom five. Oof. All right. Do you want to start as I started with Moonfall in my top five? <laughs> <laughs> or in my top ten? All right. My fifth uh, least favorite movie of the year, I've actually already discussed due to a brilliant performance. But sadly, not everything else in this film works. I'm talking about Morbius, the story of Dr. Michael Morbius, who's a living vampire. But this is more the story of a movie that has been re-edited to pieces, doesn't make any sense. And um, I think all you really need to discuss to encapsulate the folly of this entire production is the post credit sequence in which <laughs> I don't even know yeah. how to describe it. A body double with Michael Keaton's voice uh, appears wearing a costume that technically he shouldn't have because that costume's in a different universe. And also it makes no sense that he's here. And he says, hey, let's fight Spider-Man. And Morbius, a character who at this point is a good guy, goes, yeah, I also want to fight Spider-Man, a character I've never heard of and don't know. Um, and this was supposed to get us jazzed for the continuing adventures of Morbius. Uh, this movie was a mess. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it is farther down on my list. I mean, yeah, plus one to everything you've said. I feel like I don't want to waste time talking about how much it sucks because it was like such an incoherent mess that some somehow managed to feel too long having the running time of like 88 minutes. So anyway, let's move on. My bottom five, a movie that you also mentioned already, uh, Scream. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Scream franchise. I even love Scream 3, who, that I think is really fun. Uh, but this was not really fun at all. As you said, it was a big missed opportunity to actually be a parody of the horror of our time. It also just felt like kind of lazy with its plotting, having still everything be connected to... Sydney and Billy and all those people when it made very little sense for it to actually be so. And it is also disappointing because it was directed by the Ready or Not guys who I thought made a really fun movie with Ready or Not and did not bring that fun to Scream. Hopefully the new one is going to be good. It's in New York City and we do hey. things great here. Uh, 
I will keep going with my number four slot, which is Morbius. <laughs> we don't need to talk about it. It's Morbius and it sucks. There <laughs> you go. <laughs> um, uh, not to backpedal. I did like Scream, but you remind me uh, uh, all the stuff with Billy Loomis. Sorry, Skeetle Rich, it's not your fault. Uh, that part could have brought it down into my bottom five. Some of the worst shit I've ever seen in the Scream movie. Please do not keep that up for Scream 6. Okay. My fourth least favorite movie of the year. We're staying in the horror genre. Uh, this was the movie Smile. Uh, originally supposed to be released oh. on Paramount+. Plus. They gave it a theatrical release. Good thing they did because it made a fuckload of money. Uh, so much <laughs> money. Horror is great. People like watching it. I did not like watching this movie. Um, this movie is fascinating in that it's not, it's not bad. The thing is, it is so derivative of every horror trend of the past 20 years. It is a combination of it follows and, uh, um, the ring just with scene, like <laughs> a scene where they explain the rules, which change in every scene because it's ripping off a different movie in every scene. The scene in which they explain the rules in Smile is almost word for word verbatim from It Follows. Uh, it has the psychological underpinnings of the recent Ari Aster movies. However, handled in a way, its handling of mental health issues is fairly offensive if you think about them a lot. And... Also, the main look of the villains is just stolen from the movie Truth or Dare from a few movies recently. And I saw the short film this movie was based like uh, the writer director made a short film first and it was ripping off completely different movies and is a, like is completely different. Um, this is a well-directed movie with a great look. And I think this is a case where this director is clearly incredibly talented he should direct other people's scripts. I've said that for Ari Aster <laughs> before, uh, more so for this one. Um, yeah, this, uh, uh, some good shots in here, some fun spooks and scares, but no, no, not, no, <laughs> frown for me, frown for me. A frown. Oh man, if no one reviewed that movie with frown, then that was a missed opportunity. <laughs> I have not seen this movie, so I have nothing to say. It could be wonderful, maker of Smile, uh, but I did not see it. What I did see was Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, <laughs> and boy, was that bad. I don't know if the other ones, the Fantastic Beasts movies, were good since I have not seen them. But this one was really, really bad. It felt like it was building towards a. It was like the Mortal Kombat of this year, kind of. It was like building towards a thing that didn't happen in the movie, really. The stakes were unclear. It just felt unexciting uh, and boring. And none of the characters popped. Um, and I don't know. I truly hope they stop making them, to be honest. <laughs> but at the rate we're going, they're probably going to bring back Johnny Depp and make like a thousand more. <laughs> this movie is lower on my list. Uh, <laughs> this is just a movie that has no, no one wants, no one wants, <laughs> clearly no one wants to be working on it. 
it's terrible. The universe they've built is terrible. These characters are terrible. None of it works. And yet they just felt like they had to keep going because maybe they'll get money from it. Just the the hollow, craven emptiness of this film with the addition that it also makes no sense from moment to moment. Um, yeah, this was <laughs> this was abysmal. <laughs> All right. Well, what is your number three? Then? My number three, uh, we're continuing uh, my <laughs> the next my my four, three and two on this list are horror movies. Even though I love horror, I saw a lot. So some I didn't like. This is the reboot of the Hellraiser franchise. Um, this movie looks fine. It's uh, well performed. Um, some of the creature effects are uh, the makeup effects are good. Um, this is a movie that strips everything interesting of its central monsters. Um, the Cenobites, <laughs> as created by Clive Barker. Although I don't believe named by Clive Barker. Uh, I don't know when they got the names. Not in the novella, that's for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, they, they clearly wanted to get away from the dark sexual angle of the novella and original film, um, which fine, but, and they came up with the drug addiction metaphor, which, okay, sure, we did it with the Evil Dead reboot, but fine, um, but then they took away the central idea of the Cenobites, which is you, you have to, through your actions, bring them about. Um, they mm. are metaphors for uh, uh, ne uh, like dr negative drives. Uh, I'm not going to get into deep about Hellraiser lore, <laughs> but it turned genuinely fascinating um, uh, movie monsters into just weird looking zombies that literally just chase people around like zombies. And that mm -hmm. fucking sucks. It would be like if you saw a Dracula movie and uh, I can't even think of the idea. Like it would be like if you saw a Frankenstein movie and there's no mad scientist, like, like God <laughs> creates Frankenstein. And you'd be like, well, wait, I thought the movie was about playing God. If God makes Frankenstein, there's literally no point to this story. That's how I felt watching the Hellraiser reboot. Wow. I another movie I have not seen. Don't. Or maybe avoided. <laughs> All right. Uh, what is your number two pick? My number two. <laughs> another horror franchise. A big swing. I'm afraid a big miss. This is going to be Halloween Ends. Um, David Gordon Green and uh, um, uh, Danny McBride, you can't fault them for not trying to do something <laughs> new with the Halloween franchise. But look, the first Halloween is a movie that really should not have sequels. It is a short story that asks a question, does evil really exist? And answers it. The end of the movie, the last shot. Yes, this man was true evil. Evil exists. That's the end of the story. But hey, slasher movies are fun. And so <laughs> David Gordon Green and Danny <laughs> McBride wanted to do something new with that in both this and Halloween Kills. And good on them for trying something, turning it into a sh what feels like a sh an adaptation of a shitty Stephen King book that doesn't exist. Um, not the not the move I would have gone with, um, 
But overall, yeah, this movie just didn't work. Bummer. Yeah, it. I think this might be our first uh, ranking at the same spot. Ding, 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 ding. Because, <laughs> yes, because mine is also Halloween uh, Kills or Ends or whatever it was called. It was bad. Uh, <laughs> as I mentioned earlier in my review of it, it, the scariest thing about this movie is the Miramax logo. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it was just the movie made no sense. I don't need new characters. Who the fuck is this Corey dude? Get him out of my screen. Uh, yeah, I don't need to keep talking about this. And I also don't actually want to talk more about my number one pick or bottom one, which is the whale. The whale sucks. <laughs> don't see the whale. I don't know how else to warn you about uh, not seeing the whale. Once again, um, no one is forcing anyone <laughs> to see the whale. If you think you need to see the whale, it wasn't even was it nominated. For, it wasn't even nominated for best picture. You don't need to see it. <laughs> No, no, heed, heed the uh, John's PSA. <laughs> you, you don't owe Brandon Fraser anything. Watch Doom Patrol. He's lovely in it. Um, you also or bedazzled. Bedazzled is fucking wonderful. <laughs> For all our Elizabeth Hurley heads out there, go see Bedazzled. Um, you don't it's need lovely. to see the whale. You also don't need to see my number one pick. And good news, you didn't. No one did, which is why they're not going to make any more of these garbage movies. Mine is The Secrets of Dumbledore. That's my least favorite movie of the year. Oh, God. Good riddance, Dumbledore. (laughs) I'm going to miss Newt Scamander. What a wonderful character he was. (laughs) Oh, God. All right. Well, let's move back to the positivity train. Raise it up. Choo-choo. Raise it up. Get happy. These are our top five Favorite movies of the year. All right, John, what is your number five pick? My number five pick is uh, uh, Ruben Ostlin's. Am I pronouncing that right? Ostlin? Is that fun? Whatever. It's Triangle of Sadness. That's close enough. (laughs) Um, I, uh, uh, Force Majeure is one of my favorite movies of the past, uh, you know, 20 years. Um, It is a wonderful film. I was less, uh, uh, less thrilled with. Uh, Austin's follow-up, um, The Square, had great scenes, but I don't. It didn't come together for me. Triangle of Sadness did. Um, we have had uh, a lot of fuck the rich type movies uh, recently, and artworks, everything from White Lotus to The Menu, um, and uh, it's because we live in a broken world. And yeah, fuck the rich. Um, make them vomit and shit themselves and die on a boat. <laughs> That's what they deserve. Um, Triangle of Sadness, a great movie, but also an interesting movie in how the final act uh, turns the tables and makes it clear that it's not just the individuals who are bad, but the system itself. And anyone Mm -hmm. given too much power would start to uh, corrupt. Uh, Obviously not a the first time anyone said that message, but a really (laughs) explored in a really fun, funny way. Um, great cast, great performances, great shit and vomit. Um, Triangle of Sadness, <laughs> my number five movie of the year. Ooh, uh, well, it will appear in my ranking further down. Uh, I I really love that movie so much. Uh, 
And I thought every twist made it more and more delightful. And just also like the specificity of the rich asshole characters was a very well observed. And uh, I can't wait what he does next in his geometry series. (laughs) The two parallel lines of discontent. Uh, Anyway, yeah, go see it if you haven't. The vomiting, while is hilarious, is not as, you know, bad for you to not see a movie over that. Because I hear a lot of people are saying that. It's like, oh, I don't want to be disgusted. I mean, it is disgusting briefly. But it's also very, very hilarious. And I saw it at the Alamo while eating, so... (laughs) And I survived. Uh, All right. My uh, number five pick is Confess, Fletch. Uh, It's a very little scene, a little comedy movie about kind of a... I don't know. Kind of a smart asshole detective or writer, journalist, uh, played by John Hamm. Um, I did not have any expectations coming into this movie, to be honest. I've never seen the Chevy Chase ones, uh, but I thought it was just so fun. It was the movie itself was a fun detective story. The jokes landed. The characters were interesting. The mystery was fun. Like, it's not the most, you know, uh, groundbreaking stuff, but it just all worked. And it was for adults cast with very fun actors and it made zero money. And so we're not going to see any more of them, but it's a real shame because those movies, I don't know. I just, I, at all while very much enjoying this movie at the back of my head, I was like, Oh, they're never going to make more of these. Uh, and this is so sad because I think this could be a very fun franchise of, uh, you know, fun capers and hopefully maybe someone with an obscene amount of money that they don't care to burn makes more of these, but you know, check it out. Maybe, maybe if enough people see it on VOD, uh, they'll get, they'll give us another one, but I had a great time. Well, I, I have heard that it is doing uh, well on streaming and I've heard a lot of people championing this movie. So maybe it will Yay. get to continue. I know the uh, director wants to make more. I think John Hamm wants to make more. Um, so I guess uh, those of us who haven't seen it should see it, including me. Yay. I have not seen Confess Fletch. Please. I confess. It, it's really fun. Please. Confess. You haven't seen Confess Fletch. Confess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have seen my next movie, my number four. I've both seen it and already discussed it. This is Charlotte Ooh. Wells' After Sun. Saw it last night. Oh. It's a beautiful movie. I teared up. It's great. Uh, yeah. Paul Mescal. He's great. He's good. And the little girl. She's so good. Oh, she's great. Uh, yeah. All the relationships, the, like the little things, uh, you know, when there's that scene where she talks to the other kid who she like competes with uh the motorcycle boy the the motorcycle things it's just like all like you expect something earth shattering to happen and it never really does for her but it's just like i don't know her experience felt like so real and lived in uh yeah really great yeah like Um, nothing clearly huge happens but like when you get glimpses of her future life you do see how actually things that were happening were huge uh, it's great it's a great movie 
Yeah, very well done. Can't wait to see what Charlotte Wells does next. She's younger than me, and that's not. She was born in either 86 Uh, or 87, (laughs) so she might not. She might be older than me. Ooh. Wikipedia says 86 or 87. (laughs) Oh, okay. Maybe not. Maybe. Okay. Here's a question for you When is that movie set? Uh, I think it's set in 1988. Eight or so, you mean considering the song selection. Oh, 1998. Yeah, considering the song selection. I read a bunch of places uh, that said early aughts. And no, 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 no. They were playing All Saints. They were playing all yeah, late night. The Macarena. Stuff. I think it's possible. Yeah. And with her age, uh, late 90s, like Charlotte Wells, we assume the character of Sophie is around the same age. Um, like, uh, I think it's. I you know what I think happened? I think she's writing about the uh late 90s. However, they wanted to use a early 2000s digital camera because it's would be more believable yeah. that you'd have a camera at <laughs> that, that time later, uh especially since his character is supposed to be financially hard up. Um so I think that's probably what happened that that kind of muddied the waters that the technology of the mm. camera they're using made it later than every other cultural signifier in the movie. Mm interesting. I didn't pay attention to the camera. I guess I'm not a true movie fan. <laughs> uh all right. Well, moving on. What is your number 4 pick? My number 4 uh you mean my number 3? No. Four. No, I just did 4 after sun. Oh, fuck. Okay, I need to do my number four then. Uh, Oh, my number four is RRR. I'm actually not sure how you're supposed to pronounce it. Is it more of a roar thing? Is it R or is it RRR? I don't know. I loved it so much. Much like John, not a connoisseur of Indian or Bollywood cinema. Uh, But this was so fun. Really puts... Every fucking blockbuster we talk about on this podcast to shame with its originality and heart and um, action sequences and dance sequences. I have many Indian coworkers who explain to me that a Bollywood movie needs to include everything. And so I guess I was not surprised that everything was in this, but it was still uh, it was such a fun experience. Uh, the songs are great. The the songs that are just like fun dance songs are great. The songs that do exposition are also really, really great. Uh, the friendship is so fucking sweet. This is just like two best buds taking on the British <laughs> Empire. And it's lovely. There's no semblance of like Western, like no homo energy or anything like that. These are two dudes who are great friends and they love each other and they're not fucking ashamed about it. There's no wink winks or anything about it. And that stuff is great. The action sequences are phenomenal and creative and fantastic. Um, Yeah, just like if you haven't seen it, don't be deterred by its three hour running time. It runs by Uh, truly really, really fun. You could not ask for a better best friend or wingman uh, than either of these guys. <laughs> you go to a party. This is these are two best friends. You go to a party. You're a little out of shape, not out of shape, out of out of sorts at the party, and then your best friend knows to start playing the the music that you're good at dancing to. That's a yes. best friend. Um, and I think it, you just oh oh. 
Also, could I just mention just the way that it just like stuck it to the British at every point <laughs> and made them look like total buffoons was a delight. Sorry. I think you can just say RRR because it both stands for something and also is a coy wink to the fans of the director and two stars because they each have an R name. Uh, um, oh, okay. Shall we move cool. on then? What's your number three? Let's shall. My number three is your number something higher, and it's Triangle of Sadness. Uh, I, yeah, had a great time uh, with that movie. I love, you know, Eat the Rich Entertainment and this delivered. And uh, if you haven't checked it out, please do. It's great. It is great. Um, it's a weird thing about these lists that we've already spoken about the movies typically. So at the top, we yeah. just rush through them. But hey. We've been talking for a while, so I think Russian is okay. Um, yes. And But this one somehow has not yet come up. This is going to surprise things. Ooh. My number three is Banshees of Inishirin. Um <sighs> I love this movie quite a bit. It is a dark, dark movie uh, by Martin McDonough, um, as his movies tend to be, but also darkly very funny, as his movies tend to be. Um, Martin McDonough was great. Uh, the cast is excellent. Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Carrie Condon as uh, Colin Farrell's sister is really excellent. Uh, Barry Kogan is, uh, uh, am I pronouncing Kogan right? Uh, he's great as I usual. He's weird in a different way than he's usually weird. Uh, this is just an excellent movie. Uh, a beautiful exploration of friendship, family, and the crazy things we do when we're dealing with our own mortality. Um, and uh, also some great animal performances. Not all of them make it Aww. out of the movie alive. But <laughs> hey, that's life, baby. The Banshees came a calling. <laughs> uh, Banshees is lower on my list, so you will not hear me talk about it. Uh, I think I was less enthused about it than you. Uh, I, I felt like the movie was mostly metaphor <laughs> where I kind of missed the characters, but I am glad that, you know, that people like Colin Farrell and Brandon Gleeson because <laughs> they're good. Can I, I just want to say one thing. <laughs> anyway, How, I don't want to be too negative. Look at Colin Farrell in this movie. Look at Colin Farrell in his three movies this year. The, <laughs> the Penguin in Batman. That's makeup effects, obviously. But then Colin Farrell and Banshees of Inishirin. And after Yang, how how does he look 15 years younger in after Yang? It's it's just good scruff. It's amazing. The power of facial hair. The power of facial hair. I mean, he's a very handsome Irish. Well, he's also uh, an incredibly handsome man. But yeah, he yes. looks. I mean, how old is he now? He's uh, he's 46. Probably late 40s. If you told yeah. me that the Colin Farrell in after Yang was 32, I would believe it. <laughs> Well, it's all that AI, baby. Like AI is gonna keep us all young. I thought you were saying. I was. I was. I thought you were saying that like they used a technique. I'm like, I don't think After Yang had the budget to deep fake um, Colin Farrell. Oh no, I just meant in the future. Yes, 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 yes. Everyone is hot all the time. All right, what is your number two? My number two, it we have already discussed. It is, of course, everything, everywhere. All at once. <sighs> like I said, just a, a wonderful, fun uh, um, 
sci-fi uh, gimmick, but it used the the way uh, genre uh, premises are used the best to explore very human things. Um, just a wonderful movie. So funny. So well acted by um, uh, uh, everyone. Michelle Yao, Kike Kwan, St- uh, Stephanie Sue, and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, every part of this is so fun and comes together. Yes, it's too long. Yes, it drags a bit in the in the final act. But hey, they fight with kindness, and that's beautiful. Ah, yeah, that movie is and great. And is in uh, it. Oh my god! Ah, oh, man, talk about best mu- uh, musical sequences. I totally forgot. Uh, I think isn't there like a little song they do? Weirdly. Yeah, there is a song, but it's like not really in the movie. It's in you can find it on the soundtrack. They got Randy Newman to write a fake oh, Pixar song with Rakakuni. However, of. I think you only you hear them briefly sing it, but you can hear the whole thing on the soundtrack album, and it's very funny. And I get why it was cut because, like we said, too long movie, but uh, but it's very funny. <laughs> oh man, Randy Newman. Anyway. My number two is a glass onion, a colon, a knives out mystery. Uh, I was kind of surprised by how much I like this movie. I love murder mysteries, which is why like this is probably ranked higher on my list than anyone else's. Uh, but I thought the mystery really came together. I thought it was better than the first one, where in the first one, I thought the mystery was kind of obvious from the beginning. And this one kind of still was but like the way that uh they sort of were hiding it was way better i think it truly is a movie of our time uh, specifically what it has to say about our reverence of billionaires and their lifestyle and I think everyone in that insane cast <laughs> brings their A game and is there to goof around and be fun and be funny and be murdered in some cases. <laughs> and I I am loving how this is becoming uh, a franchise of like Ryan Johnson, like calling all of his cool friends and doing whatever he wants in a movie mystery genre, which he clearly also really enjoys. Um, so yeah, Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, a real scrappy indie contender. <laughs> yeah, they can only afford but... to be in theaters for one week. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thank you, Netflix, uh, anyway, you jerks. <laughs> it's back in theaters now at the Paris, really? owned by Netflix in New York. Ah. Right? Actually, Ryan Johnson is introducing it ah. in, in an hour. So maybe they're doing like some sort of a retro situation again. Gotcha. So it might be coming to your theater. Well, hey, I mean, if I'm allowed to fill my list with horror comedies, you're allowed to fill your list with star-studded murder mysteries. Yes, thank you. <laughs> we can each have a thing. But that's our number twos. Are we at number one? We at number one, John. What? How are you going to wrap this up? I think I know what it is. Ooh, but guess, I guess, think I'm going to have to hear you say it. Oh, it's X. It's obviously X. Exactly, it is. (laughs) Um, I loved X. X is so great. Uh, Mia Goth is so great. The rest of the cast is great, too. Britney Snow, uh, uh, um, uh, Kid Cudi, uh, uh, the actress who's fucking everywhere now, Jenna um, Jenna Ortega. Ortega? 
Wednesday Addams? Wednesday. I, I have not seen Wednesday, the Wednesday TV shows, but I have seen Jenna Ortega in both this and Scream. Hell of a year for that oh, young yeah. lady. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, X was so much fun. I loved every bit of it. Uh, bring on Maxine. Bring on Maxine. Can't wait. Next year, Maxine all the way. I am also very excited about Maxine. Uh, but not as excited as I am about Atar, <laughs> my number one movie of the year. I mean, I don't know if I could have uh, foreshadowed this any more, obviously, than I had. Uh, and I don't know what else to say about it. It's so, so good. I'm always excited to love a movie, you know, when you're like, oh, I want to think about it more. I want to talk about it more. I want to see it again. And Tar was that movie for me this year. Um, and uh, I just hope that Todd Field does not take, you know, 18 more years to make a movie because he truly has like a very, uh, I don't know. I think he is able to encapsulate uh humanity in a way that doesn't feel condescending or uh like overtly satirical but still like be funny and dramatic and exciting uh so yay tar she's great well she's not great the movie is great you know what i want todd field to do i want him to do what uh john turturro did and made a we make a his own weird sequel to big <laughs> big lebowski starring <laughs> the jesus character that no one saw i want todd field to make a decades later sequel to eyes wide shut about the further oh, yeah. adventures of nick nightingale yes Director, writer-director of Ooh. Tar is the actor who played Nick Nightingale in Eyes Wide Shut. He was also a professional baseball ball boy, and he, as a child, yeah. helped invent Big League Chew. Read the Wikipedia page for Todd Field. It is fucking fascinating. <laughs> he is so fascinating. If you uh, have not checked him out on like the podcast rounds that he's been doing, he's a very interesting interview for sure. Uh, yeah, what what a guy, what a guy. Apparently he just makes a ton of commercials and that's mostly what he really? does. And yeah, and he was supposed to adapt a Jonathan Franzen book that went nowhere. I think that was like the majority of his like time mm. off. I think he was attempting to adapt either freedom or the corrections. Or maybe it was purity. Oh, I think it was purity. Never mind. Jonathan Franzen, maybe better off not being adapted, <laughs> but maybe he will do a good job. Who knows? Uh, well, that that's a question anyway. for the future, and this is a pod. Mm. This ep today's episode was about the past, the year we just went through. Ooh. But of course, we are time travelers, and we will be jumping around. Uh, this this segue is not going anywhere. Veronica, <laughs> <laughs> it was a, it was a pretty good year for movies. I like these movies. Yeah, I yeah, I feel good about these. I'm I'm still glad that. You know, good ones are coming out, despite what we see usually on our podcast. I would love it if uh, I would love it if continue the trend of great, thoughtful horror movies. I would love it if comedies actually got theatrical releases. Uh, I don't know if people have noticed comedies no longer appear in movies. And unfortunately, uh, when they mm -hmm. do, a lot of times they haven't been making money. Um, uh, big yeah. studio comedies, bros. Um, the Lost City did okay. The Lost City did pretty good. 
So maybe it's like Sandra Bullock or Channing Tatum have to be in your comedy. I mean, Glass Onion is funny. Uh, it's not a comedy, I guess. But yeah, they. But yeah, I. I will say, like, I want you back. That movie I referenced before it was a solid comedy, straight to video. I feel like that's all they do now. They've de- people. Sad. They've decided that people will not go to theaters to see uh, just pure comedies. Um, which is a fucking bummer. Like if you actually, I was doing this with our, our friend Jared recently. We were um, going through the top comedies of each year. And since the pandemic, there just have not been any released in theaters. They've all gone to streaming. Oof. It's really sad. It's such a bummer. Well, on a, a good note, are there any movies you're looking forward to in this coming year, John? I put you on the spot on the spot off the top of your head i have some in case you want to think about it (laughs) other than maxine um i'll go for what i assume is a comedy it's certainly going to be interesting i'm excited for greta gerwig's barbie Ooh, that is on my list as is Bo is Afraid, oh, the new yeah. Ari Aster movie. I'm, I I want to know what all of those Joaquin Phoenixes are up to. And I am very much hopeful that The Killers of the Flower Moon is actually going to come out this year. That is the Martin Scorsese adaptation of a very, 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 very good book about the mysterious murders of the Osage Native uh, people in Oklahoma in 1920. Wow, I'm just flipping through upcoming movies. I did not know. <laughs> did you know that Dennis Quaid is playing Ronald Reagan in an upcoming biography? Uh, no, I did not. That is stupid. <laughs> well, I don't know. It depends how they take it. Uh, Ronald Reagan, um, uh, 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 not a good Our best dude. president. <laughs> You don't have to you don't have to beat around the bush, John. Our best president with the best <laughs> ideas, with the best impact on our current lives. The and best. the best handling of his thought process in the last couple of years of his presidency. Um, truly, truly, the best. truly a great uh, his administration, uh, an amazing impact on the world around us. Thanks to him, we're getting all of these great fuck the rich movies because um, we live in a horrible time of uh, wealth inequality. Hooray, Ronald Reagan. Hooray. (laughs) On that note, should we call it a day on this very long podcast episode? Yes, let's, John. It's been a delight. It's been a delight. Thank you for being part of my 2022. Oh, same to you, Veronica, as always. Uh, Can't wait to see you in person soon when you come visit L.A. next week. Ooh, exciting. Tomorrow, tomorrow is happening. Tomorrow. Well, Anyway, this is of of no interest. Enough of us just talking. (laughs) Um, Here's to the past. Here's to the future. I'm saying that as if that's how we end most episodes. Um, <laughs> as always. But no, we end most episodes in a much stupider way. How do we do it, Veronica? Toot toot. Toot toot indeed. Bye. Bye.